Well, Ryan, well, thank you for coming to the um, to the Kevin Polky the Journey podcast. Yeah. And uh, I know we've been talking for a while, and we've known each other for for a while. So um, I was excited to to have you here today. And so, well, I know you've been um, you've been doing personal training. It's something that you you know working out is something that you've loved to do your you know your whole life. Sure. And um, and so I want to hear a little bit about um, a little bit about your story, how it how it came from something that you've loved, sure. and now this is what you're doing. Pretty much full-time is that correct well yeah I mean I I grew up playing football you know and I wasn't always the biggest kid I was Mm -hmm. kind of the skinnier sickly kid and um, I hated that so I decided to start working out I ran into a guy at a gym one time and he took me under his wing and uh, from there grew this career that I have now Um, when I was in college I was a double major in physiology and kinesiology Um, I had an exercise sports science degree as well so um, I was kind of using that as my backup to being a pro football player, which is what I hope to do. Okay. Um, but uh, I started my own studio back in 2003. It was called Evolution Fitness, and I've been training ever since. It's been a 17-year career, and um, it's only been the last uh, last year or so that my career's really taken off. Okay. Um, because I'm focused now. I'm healthy now. Okay. Um, I'm able to take care of myself as well as my clients. Okay. Um, so now I'm the PT director of Fit Me Wellness. Um, I was up for the What Rocks Rockford Best Trainer of the Year Award. Okay. And um, right now I'm averaging anywhere between 17 and 25 clients a day. Okay. And uh, it's going well. So okay. I'm excited okay. about it. Okay. So 17 to 25 clients a day. So <laughs> so how so is that? Obviously, that's not just individual. You're doing small groups, or how well, are you doing they're, that? Well, they're half-hour sessions. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Yep. Okay. We break them into half-an-hour sessions because basically – the first 10 minutes, people are warming up. The last yeah. 10, they're, they're stretching out. And I have fine-tuned my training so well that we can isolate, individualize, and sculpt and train muscles in a half an hour and be done. Okay, so, okay. Yeah. okay. nice. So um, fit, me, <coughs> fit Me Wellness is yes. where you're at right now. So uh, tell me a little, tell us a little bit about that uh, particular you know, organization, uh, that gym. Fit Me Wellness is, is owned by a guy named Greg Georges. Okay. Uh, I went to high school with Greg, amazing guy. And um, it's a smaller gym. We call it a boutique gym or a, or a wellness center. Um, the age demographic is generally 55 plus. It's okay. a mature type gym. Um, very, very clean, very calm. Um, we have about 850 members. We've been there for seven years. Okay. Uh, we offer amazing classes. Uh, three of our trainers and our staff have all been up for the What Rocks Rockford Award. We've got uh, a girl, Rachel Carlson, who has won the best group trainer for three years in a row. Uh, so, I mean, we've got an amazing staff. Um, we've got an amazing core, and uh, it fits me. Okay, perfect. So, yeah. Okay. Well, let me uh, let me kind of go back a little bit and kind of your your backstory. And so, sure. you, you talked about how you got into fitness, and was it <clears throat> was it all started with wanting to play sports, wanting to play football, or other sports like that? Well, you know, I was sick as a kid. I had asthma. Okay. I had eczema. Um, I was never supposed to play football, okay. and but I loved it, you know. And as a young kid, I was really, really fast. I could run with the wind, okay. but I was tiny. Okay. Um, and, yeah, my asthma kind of held me back, this and that. Well, I was great up until high school, and then my freshman year of high school at Boylan, uh, I didn't start because I was too small, you know. Okay. Okay. And um, that's kind of where I decided, you know what, I want to do this, I want to work hard. And um, I had an older gentleman. I went and saw my grandparents in Michigan, and they had a small gym there. And I walked in, and I said, I don't know what I'm doing here. I have no clue. You know, can you show me some stuff? And he was an old school guy, you know, three sets of ten, squats and bench press and everything. And um, he put me on a regime, and every morning I got up, man, I rode my bike to this gym, 
it worked out, and the older guys were there, and at first they weren't really sure why I was there. But once they saw how hard I worked, they were kind of like, okay, cool, and they'd help me out. And um, that just became a lifestyle for me, you know. Okay. And from then on, you know, I went from uh, being sitting the bench my freshman year at Boylan to starting every game from there on out, uh, being um, an all-conference player, um, from being recruited to going to college. Um, I ended up uh, going to a small school called Carthage College. Oh, yeah, it's in sure. College, yeah. Wisconsin. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I had some offers from NIU to play there, but I would sit the bench for two, three years and then play two mm-hmm. or one year. And I just wanted to play ball. You know, mm-hmm. I just loved it. It was something that made me feel good about myself. It was the way I let um, go of emotions and anger. Sure. And um, so I played at Carthage for four years, uh, tore my ACL three different times in college, okay. uh, tore it my sophomore year, um, got the surgery done, came back, rehabbed it. I was a preseason All-American, uh, four games in. Some guy takes my right knee out, that one blows. And um, me being the overconfident, cocky guy I was, uh, during my rehab, I dunked a basketball, tore the same ACL three months later. So mm. in a three-month period, um, I had three ACLs done. Wow. Um, ended up finishing my career there. Um, I started as a middle linebacker all, all my years I played. And um, then I got recruited to go to the Pro Regional Combine. It's where basically... The, the big schools like, you know, the Nebraskas, the uh, the Michigans, they go to the NFL Combine. Well, the small schools get a chance to get recruited too. So they're called pro-regional combines. So all okay. the small schools or guys who didn't get picked up in the NFL Combine, they go, they showcase their talent for like Canadian League, European League, Arena, and some NFL teams too. Okay. Did that for a while. Um, got picked up, got cut um, a lot because my numbers were great. Like I ran a four five eight forty at 270 with three torn ACLs. Wow. But once they saw my medical records, they're like, eh, I don't want to touch that guy, you know? Sure. Um, went over to Canada for a little bit, went to uh, play arena football in, in uh, Houston, and then um, played semi-pro. And mm-hmm. uh, I got put in the Hall of Fame for that, and my body kind of started to break down for me. Mm-hmm. And um, it's funny that the career path that I took football that made me healthy and this and that, blah, 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 when it was over, that's kind of when things veered the other way, and I kind of got unhealthy, you know? Okay, okay. Um, Okay. Yes, that's kind of where it all came from. Well, well tell me a little bit. I'm, I'm interested in that, <coughs> that first summer that you that you talked about. That summer that you, um, because you you know wanted to play football, right. you, you you saw regardless if it was the mirror on the wall or the mirror, mm-hmm. you know it, that inside mirror that we have, you know, looking at ourselves, and you saw that all right. If I want to play, I'm going to have to get bigger. I'm going to have to get stronger. You know, right. and. Um, and so you were in Michigan. What were, you know, your grandparents lived in Michigan? My grandparents lived in a place called Escanaba. Okay. It's in the UP. Okay. Tiny little town that sure. snows like nine months out of the year. <laughs> okay. Um, and uh, I grew up there as a child. Every summer I go up there. Okay. And um, this was probably one of my last summers I went up there before, you know, I kind of stopped going. And um, it just grew on me. You know, yeah. it was like it felt natural to me to do that. And okay. um, the hard work didn't bother me. You know, mm-hmm. it was... Uh, it was something that he said, this is what you got to do if you want to be somewhere. And I believed in the guy. And he was right. Okay. You know? And um, that became this this lifestyle, this hard work and dedication and this and that. And, like, you know, from there, in high school, I never drank, mm-hmm. never smoked, never went out. I was, like, the the consummate, like, all-American boy. Mm-hmm. You know, it was mm-hmm. weird. And um, it kind of went all the way through my career. 
Sure. Go, that that first summer, and when you were lifting with that 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 guy, and you mm-hmm. said there was other other guys, older guys sure. were in the gym and stuff like that. If you remember back, I'm assuming you made some gains. I mean, not only <laughs> from the time period of your life. I mean, right. you're 14, 15 years old, yeah. and and you're now you're you're listening to everything these guys tell you to do, and sure. all that type of stuff, and and. I'm guessing that's when you got the bug, right? The, Big time. The, you know, the the lifting bug, and then you and you saw the results of that. Mm-hmm. Um, how did that carry over when you came back? I mean, obviously, football season was beginning when you got back, right. and then. But how did that carry over once football was over mm-hmm. um, in the off season? I mean, well, and that was the thing too, is that you know, like if you want to perform at a certain level, you got to practice and work hard at it. Some people were born natural athletes, you mm-hmm. know. I was a natural athlete, but not to the point of the level I wanted to play at. You know, mm-hmm. I didn't want to just be play high school and be done. I wanted to prove people wrong. You know, yeah. that this five foot ten, skinny, sickly, asthmatic kid who mm-hmm. probably should never go to a college could mm-hmm. go to a college. Right. And um, it was kind of cool that you know that, that summer with those guys, I put on thirty pounds that summer in Michigan, just working. Wow. You know, it was amazing, and. Did I hit a growth spurt? Probably. That probably helped. But um, it's a cool story to say. And, you know, from that, I just kind of became that if this is what I want to do, this is what I have to do to get there. Right, right. And it's my choice. You know what I mean? Like, I was the one who decided to go to that gym every morning and do this, and that was the result I got. So I love the idea that I kind of had control over my future or my my path at that time. Yeah, yeah. So what was that like? Uh, I mean, obviously, as as a middle schooler and... And in, in, in that, you know, that system that you were in, the middle schools that you went to, did you go to a Catholic school, middle school? No, I went to all public schools. Okay. Um, it was uh, definitely interesting. I was, you know, the little sick, skinny white kid and um, got my ass kicked quite a bit. Okay. <laughs> and, uh, okay. you know, it was uh, something that uh, I, I think it formed me, you know. Mm-hmm. I, I see a lot of things in, in, in the news now, this and that, and people being picked on and abused and this, that. And I hate that fact because two things happen. Either someone goes one path or a different path. Now, luckily, I went a path where I decided to protect myself or to put these walls up around me to protect me, and that was with being strong and big. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's sad to see that some kids, they go a different route and they become you know depressed and this and that. And I probably had that, but I was probably masking it with a lot of other things. Okay. okay. Um, but, yeah, I went to uh, public school my whole life, and – Luckily, someone had seen me playing when I was uh, in middle school, and our team was horrible. We were so bad, and I kind of stuck out, you know. Mm-hmm. So they're like, hey, come to Boylan, this and that. Well, I came to Boylan, and I was not that standout anymore. Mm-hmm. So um, I decided I wanted to become that standout. Okay. And and so then, so that the summer that you were working out, it was the summer before your freshman year? Or it was summer the before summer, your summer after my freshman year. So the summer year before your sophomore year. Yes, yeah, so I okay. went there as a freshman, and I was I thought I was going to start as a running back. Okay. And I never saw the field one time. Gotcha. And I hated that because yeah. at that point, that was kind of my identity. You know, yeah. I was able to – people knew I was that football player. And then when I went to Boylan, I lost that. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't have that. And what sucked, too, was when I went there – None of my public school friends were there. It was all these new people. Mm-hmm. So my freshman year, I was kind of lost. You know, mm-hmm. I didn't really know where I was at or what my identity was. And I decided I wanted to be that group or that person or, you know, mm-hmm. that player and um, just 
took it in my own hands and went for it. Gotcha. And so then you come back, sophomore year, 30 pounds heavier. Mm-hmm. Obviously, uh, obviously the coaches are seeing you differently than they saw you before, right? <laughs> yeah. Obviously, because you still had your speed, you know? Right. And, um, and, and then if the coaches are seeing you differently, the players are seeing you differently. Right. And and then that probably changed the hallways too, big time. So so tell us a little bit about what what was that like that 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 change that happened mm-hmm. because your freshman year, sure, yeah, you're <laughs> kind of blending in. Nobody, yeah. And then and then now your sophomore year, um, things are a little bit different. Well, I went back that sophomore year and I looked at the field. And I'm like, I'm never gonna be able to beat that guy out. He's just he's good. Who can I beat out? And I saw this defensive end, and I'm like, you know what? I'm better than him. I know I'm better than him. And I said, Coach, I'm playing defense this year. He's like, what? He said, you can't tackle. He's like, can. <laughs> so we put me on the field, and I decided I want this spot. And that spot became my spot the rest of my career at Boylan. I never uh-huh. moved from there. And um, I kind of got brought into this group of guys in the circle of, you know, all the football players and the kids who had a little bit of, little bit of money, you know, this and that. It was kind of nice, you know. Okay. Um, we didn't have a whole lot of money growing up. My mom worked two, three jobs at a time. And, um, you know, uh, my mom was divorced and, uh, we had to fight for where we wanted, you know, it was kind of sure. like we were always struggling. And even for my mom to get me my uniform boiling, it was tough. Like just mm-hmm. it was money we didn't have. And, um, I built this identity and no one could say my last name. It's Hoskinson. They would always mm-hmm. say it wrong. So my mom would always call me Hoss as a little kid. Okay. Um, first few words of my name. And somehow my mom called me Hoss in front of a parent, and it kind of grew, and I became Hoss. I was this person. I was this bigger-than-life, you know, um, identity. And I kind of started believing in that, too, and I became that person. I wasn't this little, small, quiet, skinny kid anymore. I was kind of this larger-than-life person. And as my career grew on, that's kind of how I grew. I, I went from... You know, not playing at Boylan to being this outrageous guy who painted his face on the sideline. And um, I was the emotional leader of the team. And um, it just became who I was on the, on the on the football field. And then as I got older, it kind of spilled out into my personal life, too. Sure, you know? sure. Yeah. And it was it was hard to really decipher who I was sometimes. You know? okay, okay. I almost built this uh, this alter ego to protect me from being hurt, I guess, you know. Well, you had tasted what it was like to not have that identity. Mm-hmm. And obviously it sounds like you you liked what you got from oh, yeah. being Haas, yeah. right? And and so, you know, when I do some – when I talk about because of wounds mm-hmm. and, and if, if there is no – if someone doesn't intervene at that time sure. or we're even open to that intervention, this false self develops, mm-hmm. this Haas develops, right? Mm-hmm. And that doesn't mean it's all bad. Right, there right. Some, there were some good things that came out of that, Amazing right? Things. And and it and it led to you, you know, playing football in college, and, and led to you some some uh, adventures that you had afterwards. <laughs> but if it's still a false self, right? It, it, sooner or later, right? It's gonna it's gonna come back. You know, it's right. gonna come back and bite us. Um, so, well, you you mentioned something earlier about um, your mom got divorced. Mm-hmm. Was that from your father? Yes, uh, my father was a Vietnam vet. He was an iron worker, and. Um, they had me, and when he came back from the war, he was just never the same. He okay. was just a different person, and uh, there was a lot of drinking, okay. there was abuse involved, this and that. And um, to protect me, my mom left immediately. There was a, okay. an incident that happened where uh, it got very physical against my mother and against me. Um, I actually have a scar on my cheek from where he hit me when I was 
a baby, you know, and okay. hit me. And um, from that, she just, she walked. She's like, okay. no more. Okay. And um, never met him. I ended up, uh, he ended up showing up. He, he lived in Freeport, too. I okay. Mean, literally 20 miles away. Yeah. And um, he ended up showing up at a football game of mine when I was in high school. I'm like, oh, what are you doing here? And then um, when I was in college, uh, I came home for the summer to do some training, this and that. And my mom was at this company she worked called Rockford Office Supply. And um, I walked in and, you know, they're like, you know, we need to talk to you. Uh, your dad's really sick and is in the hospital. Mm-hmm. Oh, great. So I literally have never spoken to the man. I mean, besides like, hey, what's up? Um, went to the hospital and uh, he had part of his jaw removed. Part of his tongue removed. Sorry. And, okay. uh, he, was, he was really sick. So I sat down by him and talked to him. I said, hey, you know what? I said, you're my dad. I'm your son. And uh, I said, I love you to death. I said, and I forgive you for never being there. And um, he started crying, and he got so emotional that his feeding tube came out. Mm. And um, they had to come in and take care of him. And I went out in the hallway. I actually got sick. Um, so that day happened and I walked away, you know, and I went to the gym, of course, and worked out and sure, <laughs> yeah. no, everything's okay. We're fine. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, <laughs> so, uh, like four days later I came home and, uh, saw my mom again and it was really somber in the room and I'm like, what's going on? I said, who the fuck died here? Mm-hmm. And then your dad passed away today. Okay. And I walked out into this alleyway where we had our, our delivery vans and I punched like a two inch dent in the side panel of a moving van. Like, I it, I could not believe the primal noise that came out of my body and the anger and the force that I was able to create through all these emotions into mm-hmm. this piece of metal. Mm-hmm. And um, so we ended up burying him a little while later. And um, come to find out, he had another son named uh, Kylie. And is it Kylie? I don't know. My memory isn't the best. And he would take him to baseball games and go fishing with him and this and that. And mm-hmm. I was, I was like, well, why was that not me? Why mm-hmm. did he do this with him and not with me? Mm-hmm. And um, so there are always a lot of unanswered questions that sure. never can get. Right. Um, people always said that my dad was protecting me from him by staying away, mm-hmm. whatever. Um, but, you know, on his deathbed, I gave him solace or, or some peace in his life. Yeah. Yeah. But I didn't mean it. You know, and that was like a turning point in my life where my football became different. Uh, football back before then was just like the joy of playing ball. I enjoyed it. I loved it. It was fun. Now football was my way of releasing anger and pain, and it kind of became dark for me. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? It was. Mm-hmm. Uh, I still loved it. It was still great, man. You know, and I was fun and all this stuff. But I would set up this memorial in the shower room uh, before games, and it would be pictures of my dad, and I would paint my face with these really horrible like evil images of like you ever see the movie The Crow mm-hmm. like oh. that but a little, little darker sure and I would sit there and I would listen to this song uh, it's called Northern Star by Hole very very somber song and I would sit there and I would just cry and let these noises out and the whole locker room would sit there and listen to me and it would get them hyped up and my buddy John Sedeska he was our middle linebacker he'd walk in and he'd hit me on the shoulder and tell me it's time and I would walk out and I'd be pouring down tears and I would just scream. The whole locker room would light up, and we would just go out and just lay people out. And that was my therapy, you know. Mm-hmm. Not the most healthy thing, but that's sure. how I got rid of stuff and um, was able to deal with emotions. And then when football was over, I didn't really have that anymore, mm-hmm. you know. 
So I ended up turning to different things. Sure, sure. Okay, okay. <laughs> so. Okay, okay. So, well, it's it's pretty amazing, right, that you, that even, even though, and I, I, and I can understand, I mean, you didn't know him, so, it, you know, you gave him the words, I forgive you, but... You know, obviously it was that was maybe in word's sake that was the right thing to do, sure. but it's pretty hard to forgive someone in that case, right? right. That you don't know, and, and you're put in that spot <clears throat> in, in mm-hmm. that situation, and you're young, you're 20, 21 years old, or whatever it was. Well, oh, I was pissed at him too. Oh. I was pissed. Like, why, why weren't you there? You know what yeah. I mean? Like, you can't give me a reason, but I understand it now. But at that point in my time, I didn't get it. Like, yeah. why would you not want to be there for your son? And why do all these other kids? Have have you know all this stuff and you know we're struggling now because you left us you know right. and so yeah even though I was pissed and angry I still ate it up and did it so we're able to say those words right and then and then when you found out he died right mm-hmm. so that was the beginning of almost giving you permission to release this rage mm-hmm. this this really begin the grieving process right. but like many times because you didn't. It sounds like, it may, unless there was, it, it didn't sound like there was someone that, that a mentor or someone that could come in and intervene mm-hmm. and kind of guide you through that. Instead, sure. it, it, it got all twisted sure. where you almost got um, affirmed and validated for this, this shadow side coming out. Sure. It's, it's almost like the shadow warrior coming out. Mm-hmm. And, and you have all these other players that were almost – feeding into it right and and became more part of that that uh that hoss that more right. part of that uh that identity sure you know sure. I'll wrap that up so so football you know obviously college ends and then you you know you're looking to get an opportunity to kind of move on to the to the next level sure. right um but it's different everyone's bigger everyone's oh, faster yeah. everyone's <laughs> you know and, and and so that's it's it's not like playing in college and, sure. and college is a much bigger step than than in high school yep. and um and when when would you say you know thinking back on it when would you say that you knew that football was coming to an end even though you weren't necessarily ready to give it up. Yeah. You know, I, I knew it was coming to an end when, you know, because I, I, I always had tryouts here and there. We'd fly to Atlanta. We'd fly to Texas and this and that. And I would always be prepared for it. You know I mean? I would, I would get good sleep, this and that. And I was bouncing in a bar at the time just trying to make some money while I was doing my tryouts. And um, I hadn't drank or smoked or anything like that until I was like a sophomore in college. And even in college, it was just... You know, it wasn't a huge thing. It, was, it didn't control my life. And I remember the week of a big tryout. I was like three, four days out, closed the bar, and um, had people back to our apartment. And I started getting wasted and this and that. And I went to the gym drunk. You know, like mm-hmm. I wasn't I wasn't putting in the time and effort, even, even a third of what I put in when I was – a middle schooler trying to get into high school. Mm-hmm. And this was my shot to be a pro, you know? Like, mm-hmm. this is my last opportunity. And I think I kind of realized it was over. Mm-hmm. And I was trying to transition out and trying to ease the, I guess, the pain in my head that this is probably mm-hmm. done by just kind of throwing it away, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, you said something earlier, in the, and I think I, I think there were, runs our great risk, is that... The, the benefit of something being we identify with it and we create an identity around it, this mm-hmm. activity, this in this case football, the sport, um, and then this then this um, 
and who you were on the field and then who you were off the field as right. Haas. Um, when it became your identity, there was upsides to it, obviously, right. but then the downsides are um, when it ends. Right. Right. Or, or when you see it starting to come to an end. Mm-hmm. Um, I know for me, at least, that was a reason why I stayed too long back when I was competing as a bodybuilder. Sure. I, I stayed too long because who will I be mm-hmm. if I stop? Who sure. will I be if I retire? I don't know what to do if I wasn't a competitive athlete. Right. You know, I didn't, and then I was afraid that you know, what would, what would I I'd be invisible again? Right. You know, and and so it, it sounds like you were going through some of the similar struggles sure. at that time. Um, so football comes to an end. You you've different injuries you you know went through and stuff like that. You got a degree, mm-hmm. right? I think you said what two degrees? Yeah. <laughs> so you have two degrees. Um, football is now done. Um, so then, what happens next? Well, um, I struggle. I I bounce from job to job. Um, I. Go start working the bar life, which was a horrible idea looking back at it. Um, but what it did was it gave me that that identity again. You know, like I, I went to like I worked for, as an account executive. I was in a suit and tie every day. This and that couldn't deal with it. Couldn't handle it. Like um, sitting in a desk at a cubicle, having someone tell you what to do all the time. Even though in football that happened, it was different. You know, and I just I couldn't relate. I didn't. I couldn't make that transfer from what I was doing to that. So I ended up working in the bar business as a bar manager, bouncer, promoter, and I felt good again because everyone at the bar knew Haas. It was, it was the guy at the front door. It was the guy behind the, the thing. It was the guy who, you know, whatever. I, I kind of had that identity again. And uh, I got the opportunity to play football one more time. I played semi-pro for the Bellevue Rush, and um, that kind of got me back on my feet a little bit. And I kind of felt better about myself. I still had it. I was still important in life. You know, I still had a, a cause. And then... After that, um, I ended up meeting my ex-wife, and uh, we got married, and we got pregnant. Well, she got pregnant. I helped. Sure, sure, sure. I hate that we got pregnant. I didn't get pregnant. Yeah, yeah. Um, And uh, we had a little boy named Hunter Hoskinson, Hunter Timothy, and um, he ended up passing away due to kidney problems at seven months old. Um, We uh, gave birth to him in the hospital. And um, leading up to it, we knew he wasn't going to make it. They, we had some ultrasounds done. Um, the ultrasounds had said, you know, both of his kidneys are involved in cysts. The kidneys are what uh, creates the fluid around the baby, and that's how they breathe. That's how their lungs are developed. And um, we went to Madison, and they ended up basically sitting us in front of a panel of doctors, and all doctors said, there's no chance of survival. There's 0% chance. And for me, that was hard to understand because there's always a chance. In my sure, mind. Sure, sure. You can't tell me there's no chance. Yeah, sure. Um, and so he ended up passing away, and uh, we ended up burying him in Rockford, and I actually carried his casket to the burial site. I drove him from the funeral home to there, and I actually put him in the ground myself. I was not letting my son go home by himself. You know what I mean? And from that point on, everything completely changed. Everything. Um, and... Uh, I don't know, man, it, it rocked me. And um, there was no amount of counseling or hugs or sayings that this is God's plan that could really mm-hmm. tell me, you know, that yeah. this is why this happened. And um, things took a completely different turn in my life. <laughs> so. Okay, okay. So in the midst of that grief, mm-hmm. 
and in the midst of um, you desiring to be a father right. and and then obviously struggling with your father not being there mm-hmm. and not understanding why sure right so now we got these got these dilemmas going on this right. ordeal right? right um and unanswered questions mm-hmm. right um and and so but you're still married, right? Mm-hmm. And still trying to figure mm-hmm. out, you know, who Ryan is and what's Ryan going to do identity-wise. Mm-hmm. And, um, and and I think that's one of the hard things that, you know, sometimes people may not fully grasp that not only do you go through, you know, the nine months of, of pregnancy, mm-hmm. but Hunter lived for, did you say seven? No, we gave birth to him in seven months. Oh, give birth to him in yes. seven months. Okay, yeah, I got you. Okay. seven months and okay. uh, we held him and he, he died in Oh okay okay so he so he w- was seven not, months in, in did, utero didn't yeah. go, didn't go he didn't go full term and then no. that, okay they yes. gave us the option to keep him full term or to give birth to him and we we decided as a family that you know number one there's no fluid in there he's just getting beat up in there you know mm-hmm. like he, he it's it was hard to it's hard to describe that but um, also for my ex wife to carry a baby for two more months just knowing mm-hmm. that he's going to die. I mean, it would have wreaked havoc on her mentally and emotionally. Yeah. Yeah. And not that it wasn't bad enough. It was yeah. it was rough. And um, so, yeah, we uh, we decided to give birth to him early. We spent three days um, in the hospital at Meritor in, in Madison trying to induce my ex-wife. You know, I I was sleeping on the floor. You know, like it was, it was brutal. And mm-hmm. just to sit there and wait and wait and wait, uh, it was definitely... Uh, I don't know. You don't wish on anybody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tough one. In in that, I think in that that grief and that not knowing, mm-hmm. right? And, and um, it's a different kind of not knowing. You know, it's a different kind of um, when you didn't know about with with your dad. Mm-hmm. That's one kind of thing where you right. could channel that anger. Sure. Um, in this case, it's kind of who am I supposed to be angry at? Right, and so it's just energy now, and it's grief <laughs> and it's sadness. But it's not, it's not. And plus, you don't have football, right? And you don't have those things. So what? What? What'd you do? What ended up happening? <laughs> well, you know, we got we got home from the uh, hospital, and um, my ex-wife was, you know, singing to a stuffed animal, putting it to bed at night, and uh, I took care of her because I thought I was supposed to. do. I took care of her to make sure she got to bed, make sure she was okay, this and that, and when I put her to bed at night, I would go downstairs and sit on the couch, and just, my mind would race, and at that point, um, I still, you know, was doing well, I was working, this and that, and as I sat there on that couch, I started to have these visions in my head, and it was just, it was, I thought that I was losing my mind, um, I started having flashbacks that I've never had before of, being raped as a child, um, and I thought that I was going crazy. I'm like, where is this coming from? Am I like, am I awake right now? Am I? I didn't know what to do, and um, so I started drinking. And it wasn't drinking, going to the bar. It wasn't going to a birthday party. It was literally escorting my wife to bed, making sure she had her medication, make sure she was asleep, so I could go downstairs and sit on a couch and chug bottles of vodka just to shut my brain off. So these images in my head would go away, mm-hmm. you know. Um, I, I thought I was going crazy. And come to find out through counseling and this and that and being able to admit to myself what had happened, I was sexually abused as a child um, for years by um, this guy. 
and my brain had put it somewhere else. Sure. It, it, uh, it protected me from it. But when Hunter passed, I guess my explanation is like, you know, you keep putting stuff in a garbage can, eventually it's going to overflow, right. you know. And um, I was able to compartmentalize all the stuff. And I couldn't anymore. My mm-hmm. brain overflowed, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, that turned into, and no one knew. No, this is just me. I, no one had a clue what was going on. I was telling people I was okay, you know, this and that. And um, it became to the point where I was drinking every night, mm-hmm. heavily drinking. And in the morning, I would be so drunk that I would have to find a way to wake up. Well, started off with caffeine and you know, stimulants from working out, this and that. Well, that wasn't doing it anymore. And then I started uh, doing cocaine. Mm-hmm. Well, it became this horrible cycle of being so drunk to try to function the next day, do cocaine to wake up enough. But then the cocaine would get you so high, you have to drink again, come back down to try to just stay level. And I lived that way for almost two years mm-hmm. and in, 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 in private. Like, I would go and sit in parking lots and I would park in this back area, wherever, and I would sit in the back of my truck, and I would chug vodka before I went home so I could just deal with the fact that I was in the home with a woman where we lost our child and all this stuff, and I would go sit in the garage, I'd find reasons to go outside or something, and it became this horrible, horrible, miserable existence. Mm -hmm. I wasn't even living, I was just surviving, Mm -hmm. and uh, me being the guy who was brought up you know, you don't cry, you keep your emotions to yourself, you protect yourself, this and that, I didn't tell anybody. You know, mm-hmm. I, I couldn't admit that I was abused as a child by a man, that this big, huge, strong football player mm-hmm. who women loved and men feared and all this mm-hmm. shit was raped by a grown man as a child, mm-hmm. um, that I was depressed, that I, I couldn't deal with stuff. And um, I don't know, it was, uh, it was really horrible. And um, it took me finally completely hitting at that point that rock bottom to realize what was going on and ask for help mm-hmm. and even even then i wasn't really ready for help i just kind of like did it to appease people sure sure you know because my whole life if there was a situation that happened i could handle it or control it if i couldn't play football i just worked out harder mm-hmm. or if this guy was faster i worked harder than that there was always a way that i could physically do something to change my uh I guess my path. Mm-hmm. And it started off with Hunter passing away. With all this strength and all this determination and all this willpower that I have, I could not save my son's life. With all this strength and willpower and all the stuff that I have in my heart and my soul, I could not deal with my depression and my anxiety. So And the I, trauma of, of the sexual you know, abuse. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, and uh, it just kind of all came to a head. Well, it's interesting, you know, um, it's it's that's the paradox, right? It, it's so, you know, in the all throughout your life, it was ability to use will, mm-hmm. to use strength, to use self discipline, determination, whatever, and then you come across something like this, or, or it's not come across. It's it's been there. It was there, mm-hmm. you know, the majority of your life, and and they talk about you know in the twelve step program that you admit that you're powerless over something, right. and it's that paradox of being powerless and admitting that you're powerless sure. is where the beginning the beginning of getting freedom mm-hmm. uh, getting liberated from that from that dragon or that demon sure. or, or whatever so 
um, I, I know that you just recently celebrated a birthday. Uh, yes, and so, uh, so t- tell us a little bit about, uh, tell us a little bit about w- what that means. And, uh, well, he's not talking about me being 41 right now. Uh, <laughs> I ended up celebrating, uh, 365 days of sobriety on December 6th. Um, I've lost kind of the days now, but, uh, I'm into my 13th month of sobriety. Um, I've never been happier. I mean, you know, does life still happen to me? Yes. Shit still happens. I still have disappointments. Um, I still fight with my girlfriend. Like, just because I'm clean and sober now does not mean that everything's rainbows and unicorns and glitter. You know, it's like stuff still does happen. But I have different ways of dealing with it now. Mm -hmm. You know, I can accept them. Um, I can accept the fact that I can't control everything. You yeah. know, I'm not that guy that I used to be where I have to control stuff. And if I can't control it or fix it, I'm not a failure. You know, mm-hmm. you can still have failures and still fall down, but it's just getting back up again. And, um, you know, even when I, so I went back to Rosecrans when I got clean and sober. Um, I found God. God was a huge part. Um, what why was that why was God a huge part well because you know I mean number one it's part of the program you yeah, know and yeah, yeah. my first time through rehab I'm like ah, I want to listen about that stuff <laughs> and because I had just lost my son you know yeah. and I was mad at God man I was mad at God because um, you can't tell me why God would take a child mm-hmm. you know you can't you cannot explain that to me and um, so I blamed him for everything you know it's all God's fault God's against me this and that well I met this theologian who worked at Rosecrans, and we were talking back and forth one morning, and I was rapping with him, and I was trying to trip him up on some God stuff, you know? Sure. Everything I said, he would shoot me down, and um, he goes, did you realize that there are different powers that work, right? I said, what do you mean? He goes, well, if you have good, there's got to be evil, right? He says, so who are you really mad at here? He goes, why are you mad at God when there's something else out there that may have been a part of this? And I go, shit, you're right, like... I have been angry at God my whole life, which, here's the thing, to make a human body, imagine all the things that have to come together mm-hmm. and, like, and be perfect. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? God didn't take my child. Shit just happens. You know, unfortunately, things happen in life. And the minute that he told me that, I kind of like, oh, okay, I'm okay with this. And that was the missing part in my, my grieving process with my son. And once that happened, it was kind of queer sailing for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I still struggle every day. Do I think about drinking? Sure. Who doesn't? Mm-hmm. Who doesn't sit and go, God, I'd love to have a beer today. Mm-hmm. You know, or I'd love to go to the bar with my friends and hang out. Mm-hmm. But I don't because I know what's inside of me. I know the chaos and the destruction that laid in my past. I mean, I lost everything, Kevin. I, a year ago in December, I was arrested. I had a DUI. I got caught with cocaine. Um, I lost my my wife, lost my house. I had no money in my name. They took my truck. They took, I mean, I lost everything and had to start from scratch. And here I am a year later. Um, I was up for an award for the What Rocks Rockford contest. I'm part of a group called the Fatherhood Encouragement Project. We go out and we feed and call the homeless. We adopt kids for the holidays. Um, we meet with other fathers to try to help them become better fathers themselves. Um, I got an amazing girlfriend. My job is taking off. I mean, it's unreal what you can accomplish in a year, and to look back to where you were a year earlier, you sure. know. And I just hope that, you know, I can give people hope that there is something on the other side of addiction. You know, mm. 
it's not all about when you get, when you get clean and sober. It's not going to meetings, talking mm. to your sponsor, blah blah blah. <laughs> yes, that is a pain in the ass and it's tiring, and it, you think that's what life's about, but it's mm-hmm. not. There's so much more out there, and I mean, I've accomplished more in the last year in my life than the the prior five of you know me fighting and struggling, all because I finally gave up. I said, you know what. I can't do this on my own. I'm not that guy. <laughs> you know, it's interesting um, as you as you're telling the story, and the word that comes to mind is surrender, right? And surrendering that ego, surrendering mm-hmm. what you thought you know, right? <laughs> um, you know, because it is. It's like you said. It's not just you know not using drugs or not mm-hmm. using alcohol or some some chemical to to anesthetize yourself right it's sure. it's it's that's part of it you have to do that first mm-hmm. you know you, because that's in the way right. but then it's also then learning how to see things differently sure. um facing those demons um in, in your case it was the spirituality piece right mm-hmm. the god the god thing and and you know then obviously you had to do work around the trauma that you dealt with you know as you were a, a small boy mm-hmm. and dad being gone and then of course with hunter i mean mm-hmm. so those are all different things sure. that you know um you could use alcohol and cocaine to to medicate it mm-hmm. put a band-aid on it right. um but it doesn't go away oh. and 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 it, and it not only that, but with a hangover, you got to, you know, it, it's even worse waiting for you. And then right? you're broke on top of it because I'm right. spending all my money on this stuff to this feel medicine, better. Yeah. And every time you wake up, you're just as miserable and you're more broke. Yeah. <laughs> you know, right. so yeah. nothing gets better. It gets worse. Yeah. yeah. And so so let me let me <coughs> ask you this because I know in my, in my life there was a similar part of it. But it almost sounds like, and you didn't say it, but it almost sounds like the same uh, – same determination, mm-hmm. the same drive that you used um, uh, when you wanted to become a football player, when you wanted to become, when you wanted to be on the field and not on the sideline, mm-hmm. is almost like the. It sounds like the same drive that you used in the past year. Right? Was that? Were you said it's close. Yeah, it's it's definitely um, it's definitely the same thing. I mean, it's not as physical as mm-hmm. it was. It's just as mental. It's just as emotional. Um, because every they always say in the program, take it one day at a time, you know, mm-hmm. and it's true. If if I look down the road, man, it's horrible. It's a long way to think that you are going to fight every day of your life to be sober and clean and to be the person you want to be. But every day I wake up and I just rock and roll, man. And I put things in front of me that are healthy for me. I put things in front of me that I think are going to help other people. And it's kind of like. I work harder now at being the person I am than I ever did on the field. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? That came easy to me. Working out and being strong and being tough and all this crap that I thought was important um, came easy to me. That was my, that's who I was. But this has worked to me. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Keeping my emotions in check, accepting mm-hmm. the fact that I'm not the end all be all for everything. I do have faults. I am wrong. I screw up all the time and it's okay. You mm-hmm. know, and that's the hard part for me. But, um, I'm just so much happier now. I'm happier mm. now being flawed. I'm happier mm. now knowing that I fuck up all the time. I'm happier now that I don't got to be right all the time. You know, mm. it's 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 a struggle, but I'm so much happier. Sure, sure. Well, and and I think that that being able to come to that place, mm-hmm. you know, that you know, if before 
you, you couldn't admit that you messed up right. or you had to cover it up. Mm-hmm. Or if you did admit it, it was only from a standpoint of kind of like you did with your dad that day. <laughs> yeah. Just to, okay, it's the right thing to say. I know right. you want me to say that, so I'm saying it. Sure. Versus now recognizing <clears throat> that um, perfection is a fallacy. Yes, it is. You know, and this idea that it's about this journey, it's about this process of, okay, I just need, I need to show up. I need to be there. And, and I need to address these things that, that come popping up because sure. um, if we don't address them, mm-hmm. they don't go away. No. You know, they just go, they just go dormant for a while mm-hmm. and then they, they, they come popping up. So if, in, you know, I, I knew you, you know, I knew you a year and a half ago, two years ago, sure, sure. you know, in the, in your past and in now what you're doing with your clients and, and what you're doing for the community as far as being able to reach out and, and help people. How would you say now, now that you know you, you're beginning to learn more about yourself, mm-hmm. how do you, how would you say that helps you as a trainer, as a, as a motivator, as a coach with your clients? You know, it's, it's. It's easier for me now because you know what? With me being able to admit the fact. See, I tell my clients up front that I'm an alcoholic. I'm an addict. Um, I'm clean and sober, this and that. Because, number one, I never want them to hear it from somebody else. Because it's Rockford's Rockford. People talk. I don't want them to pull up my mugshot one day and be like, oh, this is my trainer. Great. Um, I, want, I also want them to know, too, that me being the guy who's helping them, I look. I'm this buff, smart, whatever guy. But I struggle too, mm-hmm. you know. They can relate to me. They don't see me as this bigger than life person because I'm not. I'm mm-hmm. human. I'm just like they are. I just happen to have been blessed with the opportunity to work out and deal with certain things. But I have depression. I mm-hmm. have anxiety. I have eating issues. I have body issues. Like Kevin, look at me. Would you ever think that I'm a small guy? Mm-hmm. No, right? But I look in the mirror, and if I haven't worked out my arms that day. I'll wear a long sleeve shirt sure. because I feel like my arms aren't big enough. Sure. So I have the same problems they have. They're just coming to, to, to me for me to help them out. And to being able to make them feel comfortable, they can relate to me. They realize that they're not a bad person because they, they want to have an Oreo or, or they didn't run that day. It's not a big deal. It's not life or death. It's all about just being healthy. It's about trying to be a better person today than you were yesterday. And if you don't do your best today, try again tomorrow. You know what I mean? There's always that next day to try to become a better person or to become the person that you want to be. And if you fail, that doesn't make you a failure. You know what I mean? Uh, The person that you see or the person that you were in the past does not define who you are. Like, I'm an alcoholic and I'm an addict. That does not define who I am. You know, Mm -hmm. it's something that happened to me. It's something that was inside of me, but does not define my present or my future. These people that come to see me, if they're overweight or they don't feel healthy or they have whatever... It doesn't define who they are. You know what I mean? They're a great person. They're human. They're a mother. They're a father. They're a son. They're a daughter. There's so much more about them than just someone who wants to lose weight, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think because when I train my clients, it's not just a job for me. It's not, okay, you're here. We work out. You leave. We, we become very, very close. And mm-hmm. um, it's almost kind of like a counseling session. I tell yeah. them when you come here, this is like Vegas, yeah. okay? There's no slots and no strippers and no, no drinks, <laughs> but... When you want to talk to me, talk to me. Because mm-hmm. if we don't heal you inside here, mm-hmm. and I'm pointing to my heart, guys. You guys can't tell. If we don't heal you inside here, none of this is going to work. Yeah. You know, you can be the most physically fit person in the world and look the best in the mirror, but if your insides are, are struggling, yeah. it's, it's not worth it. You know. Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, I'm, I 100% you know can uh, can identify with what you're talking about, and and I know that that's a, a big part of my journey and everything. Uh, I can relate to you regarding the, everything from the body dysmorphia to some of the other things, and and I know for me my spiritual development in in that time period of being able to reflect and meditate is a huge part of my life, sure. and um, and uh, I want to I want to thank you again for for not only coming on the show and being part of it, but uh, just for being so transparent and yeah. being so open, you know, um, I, I really appreciate it. I know that the people who are listening, um, you know, if just one person, you yeah. know, can hear your story and hear, um, you know, what you needed to do sure. um, to get real yeah. and face those demons of what what you thought your identity was supposed sure. to be, and now moving more toward working toward who. Ryan was really designed to be. Right. So, well, and I'm actually happy this journey happened to me. I think that if I didn't have all these failures and didn't fall and all this stuff, I wouldn't be who I am today. Oh, you know yeah. what I mean? Absolutely. I think it really formed me. And I just want to tell everybody out there please don't wait to get help. If you're struggling, if you have something you're thinking about, go talk to somebody. Don't wait until you're like me, 41 years old, and lose everything to decide it's time to take your life back. I mean, there is life after addiction. There's life after recovery, and it's fucking beautiful, guys. It's beautiful, and just go out and grab it. That's all I got to say. Ryan, I appreciate it, man. You got it, brother. Thank you. Thank you. You're All welcome. Right. All right.